Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. It's Justin, thanks for tuning in, thanks for downloading, thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann and the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're in the wine space. And on the podcast today is David Parker, CEO and owner of Benchmark Wine Group. David, so great to have you on the podcast. Justin, it's great to be here. I couldn't wait for this morning. <laughs> I feel really bad. Before I hit record, I realized that David's on the West Coast and it's 8 a.m. Eastern time. So you can imagine this is pretty early. So thank you for doing the session. Um, it, and I apologize, but I'm really glad you're here. It's a great way to start the day. Um before we get to the wine industry and your business, how about just share a little bit about your background um, before getting into it? Okay. Well, I was a high-tech guy. I have degrees in computer science, electrical engineering. I started uh, my career uh, in the Silicon Valley. kind of grew it from programmer to manager to head of uh, lab organizations. And then along the way, picked up a vineyard or two of sort of being crazy and finally discovered that's really where I wanted to be. So when I had the opportunity, I, I jumped over into the wine space. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I saw that you were in the tech space. Um, and was that a, an easy move to get over into the wine industry? I had read your bio and you were kind of a wine connoisseur. It's one thing to be a collector and connoisseur. It's another to actually work in the industry. Like, what did that look like as you were making that transition? Yeah, that's um, that's a little hard. I, I like to say a million gate integrated circuits, a million lines, pieces of the software were too simple for me. I wanted something that was way more complex. And so that's when I went over into wine because it's the kind of thing that uh, <laughs> there's, there's no bottom. You, you, you can't ever figure it all out or even a lot of it. So that plus running your one's own business is just about as complicated as you can possibly get. Wow. Okay, so talk about um, what did that look like early days for you? What was the business like? Where did it start? And what were the things you were focused on in the early days versus now? Sure, sure. As I mentioned, I had a couple of vineyards. I did. I was a wine collector. Uh, I had an opportunity when one of my companies was purchased to take a year to figure out what I wanted to do. Just about that time, uh, a friend of mine who's, who had started a, a whole new consulting business doing something weird no one had ever heard of called website design. There's this new auction package written for this brand new startup company called eBay, but you can buy a perpetual license for $10,000. And for another 10000 I know that's a lot of money. She said, I'll, I'll, you'll be my first customer and I'll write a whole uh website for you and you can be the you know the christie's or the sotheby's of the internet and that seemed like a pretty good idea at the time and so we did it and we founded the first company called brentwood wine company which was really the first continual internet wine auction house uh and kind of grew from there wow really cool um so what was the did you did you have kind of a vision for the the, the business as it is today or was it something that has evolved over time 
it's evolved over time. We kind of stumbled into it through finding what worked and what didn't work. We were in Oregon, which had licensing laws where we had to buy the product before we auctioned it. So we had to get really smart at what these things are worth because we were taking a risk on each of them. Uh, there was a little broadside uh, magazine that was put out by a guy in Alaska called the Wine Market Journal where he consolidated all auction trades and so we started to use that. Finally asked him if he kept it on a spreadsheet like Lotus 123 or something. And he said, right. oh, I put it on a brand new spreadsheet called Excel. Excel. And I said, and I said how, much, how much would it cost for you to, to, to send me a copy of a disk every time you update it? And he says, oh, it's even, uh, he said it costs oh, maybe $1,000. I said, okay. <laughs> and uh, he said, I don't even have to send it on a disk to you. They, they, Excel allows you to actually email this, uh, this software. So... We, we started to take that and wrote some fuzzy logic software to incorporate that into our appraisal process. And that kind of became the, the core. Uh, later on, he was working for another company that wasn't working out. Um, he, he said, I stole in the wine market journal. Would you like to buy it and hire me? He was in California. California sure. had the kind of laws that were uh, conducive to retail and and importing and distribution. So hired bought bought the wine market journal, hired him to start that company in Napa, California, and that let that allowed for our retail company, Benchmark Wine Group, which the, the you know the the baby chick has outgrown the mother hen by a factor <laughs> of ten here. So that was kind of how we stumbled into it through through uh, you know unforeseen un unforeseen steps sure well um great segue uh, benchmark wine group so talk about actually even before we get to that so how has the industry changed since you started working in it and and give our audience a sense for the industry now some of the big trends in the industry so that you have a sense for it we have covered the wine industry of course spirits and other but i i think it'd be really good for you to share your perspective on the industry and then we can dive into benchmark Sure. Well, when we get going, of course, there was virtually no such thing as uh, home delivery of, of wine. You went to a wine shop and bought stuff. If you wanted the old back vintage things, the rare things that we sell, you sat in an auction, a live auction, you know, uh, sort of a holiday inn or whatever, you know, and some guy gaveled <laughs> down the one bottle right. after another and you raised your paddle. And, and you know, then you eventually got your, your product. And that was about the only way you did it. Of course, we, we were one of the people that sort of uh, got things going on the Internet. We had to tackle problems like shipping cross-country right. uh, and, you know, all the, all the online, you know, fulfillment uh, that people have come to expect now for virtually all their products. Yeah, and so... So as you dove into that, and, and so why don't you share um, a little bit about Benchmark at, at a high level in terms of your overall business, and then we could dive into some of how the capabilities have changed over time. Sure, sure. I mentioned we're the largest uh, retailer, and we distribute um, rare wine, which is generally back vintage, very high-end wine that's not generally otherwise available. Uh, maybe it's mailing list wine where you have to be on a mailing list from a California winery or, or super rare stuff that comes over from Europe quite often with, with a year, few years of, of, of age to them. Uh, what wow. the business looks like to the outside world is a very large very well stocked um, 
rare wine retailer and distributor, what it looks like to a wine collector is we're the largest buyer of private wine sellers in the country. We also import wow. from, from rare wine companies in, in Europe and, and buy from distributors and, and, and importers too. Uh, but internally, what we act like is a, is a, a, a giant market maker for rare wine we're able to to name a price for any wine in the spot market and buy you know virtually any well-stored high-end wine at a moment's notice at an exact price and we're able to bring fifteen thousand different wines at any given time constantly changing to to the market at 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 top top prices all all bottles hand inspected and, and guaranteed for for provenance and in good condition so that's sort of what we do and what we look like to the outside world and how do you do that so what's behind the scenes that allows you to make those pricing decisions so quickly like is it automation or is it individuals like, or, like how does that work yeah so it uses the wine market journal data set which we've grown dramatically to cover all uh both live and internet auctions around the world, all those trades, a lot of them going back to the 80s, are in our data set. So as you can imagine, it's absolutely huge. We also track about 20 rare wine retailers, their exact sales, you know, how much, what what they got for a bottle on a particular day. And then that's all managed by a large piece of fuzzy logic software. The hard problem being when someone sends us a list and doesn't quite name a bottle of wine the same way anyone else ever has, how do we deal with that? But we have a very large software suite that does all of that appraisal work and then on the back end prices it and that scores, which are very important in our industry. And separately, we have a front front to back end giant piece of software, the custom software that runs the whole company, everything from product upload to offering on the internet to allowing our sales team to generate on the backside to fulfillment, to shipping, to fulfillment, to tracking of, of, of deliveries. And did you have to set up, okay, so now we're into the operational part of it, the the, the shipping and distribution and like the, all the logistics, did you have to set that up or was it something you could leverage a partner for, for in, in, in the early days versus now? What did that look like? Yeah, we, we handle most of it because wine can be damaged so badly by heat or, or mishandling. And the people that are buying these kinds of bottles are very, very particular. Uh, so we have right. so we handle virtually all the logistics from pickup and refrigerated containers when we buy wine sellers to uh, individual shipping. In fact, our customer service department spends most of their time working with people to make sure the wine is shipped properly, you know, even tracking the weather across the country and so forth. Wow. Uh, we do have we do have transportation partners that will manage a lot of the the ins and outs of interstate shipping of these things. Um, but uh, we found it's very important from a customer service standpoint to really be handling everything and, and to take responsibility for that. Sure. And then as you think about the business, like how much of it is individuals selling their sellers, I'll call it to you versus one-offs versus other type of, uh, I'd say transactions in the marketplace. What, how do you, how do you think about that from a segmentation perspective? 
Sure, that's a good question. We view the selling of bottles of wine as kind of our micro business and the way that we 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 gain friends over you know a lifetime of collecting. And then we view when it's time for someone to either sell their entire cellar or at least to thin it in a major way. Those are sort of our macro deals. People have come to trust us and know us. Know we offer good prices. Uh, you know, know we're gonna the check is going to be the money's going to be in the account the day the wine's picked up if that's what they want so those are the big deals for us in, in the rare wine business 90 percent of the time finding enough product of, of great condition is is the challenge uh more so than than finding a buyer um we do buy also it's about 70 percent of our our sourcing comes from pri- great private collections perfectly stored private sure. collections and about 30 percent comes from rare wine brokers, mostly in Europe uh, and other sources that I mentioned. Got it. And then as you um, do you store so you, how do you how do you store wine? Like, do you have warehouses or I mean, how does it look for you all versus just brokering a transaction? Sure. Yes, we have uh, our largest warehouses. Housing is in is in Napa, California. We now have a new facility in Washington D.C. It has similar laws to California that let us buy from all these sources and sell to, to all these types of buyers. They're both uh, clim- very very carefully climate controlled. Uh, you know, we have to we we want to keep the wine comfortable, not so much the wine workers. It's a little chilly right. for them. <laughs> a little chilly for the warehouse workers um but it's all got to be very carefully temperature controlled and humidity controlled by the way so that's that's a big part of what we do interesting so as as i look at your brand do you have to market it or do people find you and you know what i mean like do wine collectors and sellers do they just kind of naturally know a benchmark wine group you know is it or do you have to get out and like put your brand in front of people and help them understand what you do how does that work well, yeah. So for years and years and years, we we grew mostly by word of mouth. There is a, right. a, a, a ubiquitous search engine for wine called Wine Searcher. A lot of people find us that way too. I mean, even Google has got some basic functionality that helps people find us. Um, but we do some digital advertising. And we now we are working with Colangelo, who's the best uh, PR firm in the country, to to grow our brand, and that's especially important as we're growing into new areas, doing more distribution, doing more direct importing of products right from producers, and growing into some new spaces that we hadn't been in before. Got it. No, that's great. Um, I always love to ask our guests some of their um, uh, you, biggest lessons learned from growing a business or kind of leadership lessons you'd share with our audience. We've got a lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders that listen. Um, David, I'd love for you to share two or three pieces of advice that you've learned in growing your business um, over over time. Wow. Okay. So that's the, that's a hard one because it's, <laughs> it's all been the school of hard knocks. I'm not right. I'm sure. Right. I love those stories, though. That, that's what makes it fun. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the, the first thing is you've got to be you've got to be flexible and ready to run like hell when you discover something. You know, discover a black swan or discover a new opportunity, and you never know, you never know where those are going to come from, which is part of the fun sure. of being a you know an entrepreneur. But right. um, the, the only thing you can be sure of is you're going to run into a huge number of things you've never encountered before. And they're all going to seem like crises at the time. But, you know, that old uh, stru- uh, saw that a crisis in Chinese is danger plus opportunity. You know, you got to right. find the opportunity 
piece of it. Um, I think the other thing I'd say is customer, no matter what business you're in, uh, customer service and data are extraordinarily important. You have to be a, a data company and a customer service company first. Your product is almost secondary. And then the third thing is, uh, and this is a little harder, what I've learned is uh, partnering is a whole lot more important than than trying to 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 be be secretive and uh, doing things entirely on your own. At least in our business, um, in my opinion, working together with someone that's a nominal competitor um, has has brings dramatic advantages. Um, in our case, it's there's so many different rare wines and nobody has very many of them. Sure. Uh, it's not that competitive because you're selling, you may have the same customers as someone else, but you're selling them a different thing. But in any business getting together with your business consortium, uh, you know, networking with other people in your space yields a heck of a lot more advantages than, you know, it, it, it can ever disadvantage you in terms of letting your competitors know what you're doing. Plus you want to stay three steps ahead of them anyway. So once they figure out what you're doing, you're already two steps further down the road. Totally. I love that. Um, such great advice. Uh, any anything stick out as a you know? I'm back on your number one, a black swan for you guys, or or an opportunity where you're like, we've got to run. You said you got to move fast. Anything that is it a good example of that? And something that you you've experienced? Yeah. Okay. So uh, about three years ago, they put a, a tariff on a lot of products, including wine coming out of Europe. And we were sourcing a lot of product from Europe and it, it came out of nowhere. We had about 10 days notice. You oh, know, wow. we had a ship on the, we had a ship on the ocean full of that stuff that suddenly had a $50,000 tariff on it that we weren't expecting. Um, we recognized that it was going to be much more difficult to restock our European wines in the future. And we didn't want to you know, hurt our customers, but we figured we'd split the difference with them on this tariff. And, and so our, uh, the product that we had in inventory, we did raise the prices, but only ha about half as much as our, our replacement costs would be. Sure. And fortunately those tariffs only lasted for about nine months. But during that period, and it would have only been a very short-term period that we would enjoy a little better margin from this. But the customers responded and continued to buy as ever because they, the prices we were offering it at were much lower than what they could get it for from Europe with the tariffs. Um, so we had a, uh, unexpectedly, uh, an unexpected ability to improve our margin a bit and therefore reinvest in some of these growth initiatives that have come up. And that black swan could have been viewed as a disaster, which, which it was sure. by a lot of our competitors. But thinking it through, we came up with a way for it to, to strengthen our business and increase the, uh, the loyalty of our customers because we didn't take things up as much as other people did. And fortunately, wow. again, if it, if it had kept going, of course, that, that margin would have disappeared. Sure. But uh, if it, 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 it did go away, and we were part of that through a consortium that we're, we're members of. Interesting. Wow. Um, I, and, you know, people, a lot of people, our listeners probably don't even know about that, right? They're not in your industry. So just fascinating. Um, so helpful. Hey, share with our audience, you know, before we go, where they can find you, connect with you, get involved, um, learn more about your service. I'll call it the marketplace. Um, and, and, and why don't you share at least how they can get engaged? 
Sure, sure. Well, we're we're at benchmarkwine.com, just like it sounds, benchmarkwine.com. And they can contact us there. They can actually get my contact information from that website. They can buy there if they've got wine that they're interested, the well well stored rare rarer wine that they're interested in selling. They can get all the information they need there. We have a brand new operation in DC. C, which is at benchmarkwineandspirits.com. And that operation also deals in rare wine, a little more East Coast centric, and also deals in rare spirits, which is an emerging part of the market, dramatically growing dramatically fast. And we've got one of the biggest the spirits uh, collections uh, just came to market a few days ago. So those are the two best wow. ways to reach very, us. Very cool. if, they, if they want the data, that's winemarketjournal.com. And they can use that to, to look up. Uh, auction valuations and there was a spirits market journal also this is awesome yeah i was, I was so impressed with the catalog it's it's um and and go just to go take a look like there's some brands i some a wine labels i'd never seen before it's just really really cool um what a great concept and really great lessons learned you've been able to share with us uh david parker ceo and owner of benchmark wine group david thanks for getting up early with us today and spending a few minutes with us sharing your story um we hope you'll come back on down the road such an interesting business and um it's just wow and, and and cool that you've been able to take what was a passion for you and like and create a business out of it, right? I mean, that that has to have been, and it has to continue to be rewarding, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, that's great. David, thanks for spending time with us today and uh, look forward to having you back on down the road. Okay, my pleasure, Justin. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.